Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. I trust you are doing okay. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. I am Rick Thomas, and I am very glad that you are here. I want to talk about God's salvation and how it is a a gift that we must steward. But when I say that, the management of God's salvation, I am not implying at all that we can lose it. That is an impossible feat. We do not earn God's salvation, therefore we cannot lose God's salvation. However, we need to manage it. We, We are to steward it. Uh, One of the ways that we steward God's salvation, this wonderful gift that He gives to us, is that we share it with others. Suppose we do not steward God's salvation by extending this gift to other people that we know. I mean, who knows? God may go to extraordinary lengths to get our attention to motivate us to think differently about the gift of salvation. Now, there is a precedent for this. In the book of Jonah, he's the man, and he was one of God's choicest children who refused to steward God's salvation well. Well, the Lord went to some terrible lengths to turn Jonah in the the right direction, trying to motivate Jonah to steward that gift well. And that's what I want to talk about here. In fact, I've titled this, The Terrible Lengths That God Will Go To For Your Good. And so I want to conflate two things here, the salvation that God gives us and our call to steward it well, not to earn it, but to manage this gift that God has given us. And then the conflation is, I want to talk about how sometimes God will not only permit suffering into our lives, but He will orchestrate suffering in order to get us to be better stewards of His great salvation. Now, if you want to read what I'm sharing with you, I would love for you to do that. We have it set up. Go to lifeovercoffee.com, and you can read, you can watch, you can listen. And here again is the title, The Terrible Lengths God Will Go To For Your Good. You see, Jonah said salvation belongs to the Lord. Nailed it. It does. Yes, and amen. There is no doubt about it. Salvation is not ours to generate and to give, but salvation is given to us. Now, of course, we have a responsibility to go and make disciples, as Christ told us in what we call the Great Commission. But here's something else that's important to know. Even though Jonah messed up, Let's say he messed up royally. He was not entirely off his rocker regarding how he thought about God and his salvation. He was right. An imperfect man made a perfect statement. Salvation is God's. And God can choose to do what he wants to with it, how he sees fit. And so God gave Jonah this great gift of salvation. And then he came alongside Jonah to motivate him to steward it in the right way. And though Jonah was a prophet, we do not want to dismiss his life as though it doesn't matter. Yes, he made a mistake, 
and his mistake made it into the canon of Scripture. There is encouragement here for us. Praise God for his grace. What if God had dismissed us because we made a mistake? How awful that would be. God did not dismiss Jonah. He did not take his salvation away from Jonah. No, he continued to work with Jonah to help Jonah to steward this wonderful gift in the most precious and profitable way. And that's how God thinks about us too. I mean, what if you rejected someone because they did not meet your expectations? Well, I know that that is a terrible thing. And unfortunately, maybe some of us have done that to other people because they did not line up according to how we wanted them to line up. And so we unfriended them. We dismissed them. We rejected them. The mature Christian will find the good in a person's life and learn from it, which is why we can learn from our brother Jonah. Even though he made a mistake, God did not reject him, and I don't want to reject him. As a matter of fact, I want to learn from my imperfect brother because I mirror him I am an imperfect brother too. And so Jonah said that salvation belongs to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping Lord God. Salvation is his. And if we have received it, there is no question that it is an unearned gift. And though salvation is a gift, it becomes a stewardship responsibility for all the followers of Christ. We are to manage God's salvation, and that's what I mean by stewarding it. Now, that is a concept similar to other things in our lives, too, by the way, since all things belong to God. You read that in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. And so what do you think about your salvation? It's a free gift, one, but how are you managing it? I mean, well, maybe I shouldn't presume. Do you see salvation as a free gift from the Lord? And do you see this as a stewardship opportunity, not to earn, not to keep, but in order to export, provide, give away, to share with others as you go and and pray uh, that God would bring more disciples into the family because of your cooperation with him in stewarding this great salvation? We have been trying to parent this stewardship idea into our children all of their lives. Let me give you an example. When they were younger, we told them that that their room is not their room. This is not your room. Their toys, for example, they are not your toys in the most technical way. You are to steward them. But we would go on and tell them that your lives do not belong to you either. It is a gift because everything belongs to God. He did not provide toys and rooms and our lives for us to use them in self-serving ways with no appreciation for, no acknowledgement of, no responsibility toward the one who gave us all of these gifts. In fact, you'll see a common case of this theological breakdown of the mind in the person who got saved so he would not go to hell. He just wanted, his, he just wanted to get his ticket punched, as we say. 
Now, that is irresponsible salvation stewardship. If our only reason and primary thought about salvation is to get our ticket punched, then we're probably not going to steward God's salvation. I mean, it's stunning enough that he, this person who uh, wanted to get his ticket punched, that he is not going to hell. But salvation is much more than a reservation in the celestial city. Imagine at Christmas if a relative took a, a gift from you and was irresponsible in how they used that gift from you. Now, perhaps it might be okay to take liberties with some of the gifts that you receive at Christmas time, like the 15th necktie I got uh, in a row. By the way, I don't get neckties. I'm just using that as an illustration. But it would be very wise to be more gracious and more thoughtful and more responsible how we use a temporal gift, but even more so with how we steward God's gift of salvation. Jesus talked about prioritizing earthly and heavenly blessings when he distinguished between uh, the rusty temporal and the glorious eternal. You see, temporal gifts and lasting gifts are really different. The stakes are eternally higher regarding God's salvation. And the comprehensiveness of the gift of salvation is absolutely staggering when you try to get your mind around full salvation. And so we have a responsibility regarding that gift. And, and the more we understand the comprehensive nature of that gift, the, the more we realize that our responsibility is sobering, but it's also an opportunity. It is the most expensive gift you will ever steward because this gift is not only eternal, but it belongs to the Lord. No earthly reward, including neckties, can compare to the unearned blessing of salvation. Jesus talked it talked about it this way in Matthew 6. Many of you are very familiar with this passage of scripture. He said, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal." And so one of the instructive ironies about Jonah's statement about salvation belongs to the Lord is the truth in which he spoke, but the failure in how he lived out what he knew to be true. Do you see the, the contradiction between his orthodoxy and his orthopraxy? Well, you probably do see the contradiction because we do the same thing. Jonah's confession, what he knew to be true, and his function, or what I'm calling his orthopraxy, those things were at odds. And this tension is fundamental for all of us. Our beliefs, confession, and our practices, our behaviors, they do not always line up, and that's why what is going on in Jonah's life is so practical to us. He was right. Salvation is of the Lord. But then he ran off to Tarshish as though it didn't matter in his orthopraxy. And so though Jonah was spouting off about God's salvation, by the way, 
inside the whale's belly. It was not long before he was angry and defiant again after the Lord resolved his problem with that big fish. What he knew to be accurate and his desire to live out that knowledge did not connect after, even after he exited the well. Praise God for his grace. God makes wide borders of mercy for people like Jonah and people like me. He, he gives his children room to wobble. By the way, I heard that statement, room to wobble, from David Pallison. He was talking about sanctification and how sometimes it's just hard to mount up as wings, like uh, as eagles. And sometimes we just, all we can do is wobble. But God gives broad borders for his children when all they can do is wobble in this moment. And so if you do a poor job stewarding the Lord's salvation, you do not have to fret. He will help you to become a better steward of his salvation. Now, that comes with a big warning. And so you want to take your magnifying glass and you want to go to the to the small print on the salvation flyer and you want to recognize that it would be a good idea to think about two of the ways that he helped Jonah uh, to become better in his orthopraxy for his orthopraxy to line up with his orthodoxy. One, he hurled a storm at Jonah. And then number two, he, he appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. God was really interested in Jonah. And sometimes I tell people this after I build a relationship with them because this is a hard truth to swallow. That sometimes when you're going through trouble, God is taking a, a very precise and, and microscopic interest in you. God loves you, and he loves you so much that he wants to adjust and recalibrate you. And so as we think about God taking an interest in us to help us to be better stewards of his great salvation, well, that is a good thing. There is grace for us. But we want to take the magnifying glass and look at the warning label because two of the ways that he helped Jonah to recalibrate was by hurling. And the picture of hurling a storm, by the way, is it's like a man standing above Jonah and hurling a spear at him, which is what the picture connotes. And then a little bit later, he did appoint a, a whale to come along and to swallow him. Now, my intent here is not to scare you. That's not my motivation at all. But I do want to elevate the seriousness of how God thinks about his salvation. It should also give us a different perspective on the trouble in our lives. I mean, could there be a sovereign point to our troubles. I mean, maybe the Lord who owns our salvation will go to unusual lengths to help us to become better stewards of it. There is no doubt, according to the book of Jonah, that is what God was doing. He was allowing Jonah to learn how to manage salvation's gift. He was sovereignly executing salvation 
in Jonah's life. And so understanding how to manage the Lord's salvation means we must understand more about how God does execute salvation sovereignly, which begins by understanding how God controls every single thing. There is nothing over which he does not exercise power, including the storms that he hurls or hurled at Jonah, and the whale that he appointed to swallow Jonah, there is nothing outside of his control. He exercises all power. If he were not in control of everything at every moment, he would cease to be God. Nothing can thwart his plans for us, not even our sins, as he is using Jonah's sin in a sinless way to reorient Jonah to steward his salvation in a more magnificent way so the Ninevites could hear about this great God. And so we see God orchestrating his salvation throughout the book of Jonah. He is behind the scenes working to bring Jonah to complete repentance, not in a salvific way, but in Jonah's sanctification. There is no doubt that God is in charge. For example, in 1-4, God did hurl a mighty wind to help rescue Jonah. In 117, God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. In 4.6, God appointed a plant to come up over Jonah. And then in 4.8, God appointed a wind to scorch Jonah. Now, while it is true that the sailors threw Jonah into the sea, as we read in Jonah 1.15, Jonah gave us a sovereign perspective of God's work in his life in Jonah 2-3. There are two things that are happening here on the terrestrial level where men are, are doing things, but then on the sovereign level, God is orchestrating things. This is what theologians call primary and secondary causes. And this theological insight is outstanding news the Lord sovereignly executes salvation using pagan men to accomplish his purposes in Jonah's life. You see, we do not have a sloppy salvation. It is the Lord's salvation. We can manage our salvation with confidence, with courage, and with gratitude. No matter our situational difficulties, God is in control, always working for our good. And so the secondary cause, as we see in 115, it says that, So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Now, that was a secondary cause. That's what was going on on the eye level. But then there is primary cause, and you, you read the primary cause, and this is Jonah talking in 2-3, for you cast me into the deep, Jonah said, talking to the Lord, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And so we see both secondary and primary cause, but never be confused. The primary causal agent is sovereign God Almighty executing uh, His plans in our lives in a sovereign way. You see, God's salvation 
consists of a, a past and a, a present and a future, those three components. And that's why we want to think about, well, how do we steward God's salvation? Well, first, I would appeal to anyone who doesn't understand this process, what we call the ordo salutis, the order of salvation, is to recognize that to, to steward it well, we have to understand it, and God's salvation consists of these components, a past component, a present tense component, and a future component. And so we know that God was thinking about the execution of our salvation in eternity past. We see that in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 11. I won't read those to you here, but I would encourage you to mentally pen it uh, on your on your mind map and come back and read it. And as you read those verses of Scripture in Ephesians 1, 3 through 11, you will see that God was thinking about the execution of His salvation in our lives in eternity past where He predestined us to salvation. And then in Revelation 21, verse 1, we get a sneak peek into our future salvation and there's also a temporal element to our salvation too with our life here on earth now again the the essential theological term that i am outlining here is i'm stretching salvation into two eternities is the ordo salutis which is the process of our transformation into Christ-likeness. The Lord's salvation allows us to, to know and experience that we, we have been saved. And in this present tense, we are being saved in our sanctification. And in our future tense, we most assuredly know that we will be saved when, when we experience glorification and then full salvation is fully capped at that point. But salvation reaches from eternity past to eternity future. And in this present temporal sense, God is working in our lives as He is maturing us into a fuller expression of salvation. Jonah was experiencing God's salvation in the temporal, as we do too. And we see God rescuing him from the repeated errors in judgment. And though salvation has a definitive, a definite regenerative regeneration effect, you are born again. And I do want to be clear in that. You're not born again and again and again and again. You're not born again and then you lose it and then you're born again and again. No, that's not what that that's not what I mean when I talk about full salvation. No, salvation does have a regeneration effect. You are are born again. But it also means that God is, and I'm going to put this in air quotes for those that are listening to the podcast, that He will be saving us throughout our lives. He does this so that we can further mature in Christ because we're not entirely mature at regeneration. And so this truth about God's ongoing sanctifying work in our lives as He's continually saving us, restoring us, not in a salvific sense, but in a sanctification sense, it does place a responsibility on us to respond to God so that we can grow up into the fullest expression of our salvation. This requirement of a relationship with God— 
so that he will help us to continue to mature or to continue to change is vital in our understanding. Sometimes the requirements of a relationship means that God has to bring things into our lives to motivate us, to improve us, as he did with Jonah. Our daily changing is how we can experience the Lord's salvation today in the temporal. Understanding and applying this idea to our lives, hopefully, I hope, that it will motivate us to think differently about the trials that are in our lives. Our tests are not because God is against us. It's not because God is mad with us. It's not because God is playing a cat and mouse game or he's going to give us the carrot and take the carrot away, conditional on our obedience. No, our tests are not at all because he is against us. God is for us. He is entirely on our side, but he wants us to change. And he wants to participate primarily in changing us so that we can more fully enjoy him. At times, the things that he brings into our lives will challenge us to the core of our being. Now, we see this throughout the Word of God. The Father allowing or the Father bringing hardships into a person's life to rescue That's the idea of redemption, to rescue people. He needed to do some dicey things for Jonah. A storm he hurled at him, a well he prepared and appointed for him. What is he allowing in your life? Maybe more importantly, are you maturing in Christ's likeness or sinfully reacting to the storm or the well? How you steward your trouble will directly affect how you steward this great salvation that God has gifted us. I typically let the folks that I counsel know that the end goal of counseling is not for them to become better, but for them to go out and make disciples. You see, a key component to anybody's salvation experience is intentionally extending that salvation gift to other people. There is an exportability factor to the Lord's salvation. He did not save us to live like a dead sea, a body of water with no outlet. Christ, our example, models this concept so well for us. He left his place to come to us to change our lives, and he wants us to go and do likewise, make disciples. Well, Jonah did not do this. He did not extend God's salvation intentionally to others, which was the whole point of God speaking to him in the first place in Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2. He did not want to share the Lord's salvation with the Ninevites. As a child of the covenant, are you calling others into a covenant life? How are you exporting the Lord's salvation to your spouse? For example, if you are married, how are you an agent of redemptive care in a secondary causal way for your children? 
as you expand this idea, how do your friends experience the Lord's salvation through you? We see that Jonah was just my four and no more. And I don't want to share God's salvation with those people over there. I'm not going to be a good steward of God's salvation. You cannot have a clear identity with God without living out the calling of God. Jonah had a lousy attitude toward the people who needed to experience the Lord's salvation. He was a poor steward of redemption. If you have a terrible attitude towards someone, you will not be a good steward of the Lord's salvation because you will not export it well to them. Suppose you try to separate your identity, who you are in Christ, from your calling, your responsibility to live out that very identity that you say that you possess. And you're not doing that well. You're not doing it well. There is a, a dichotomy. There is a disconnect between the identity that you possess and living out that identity, that calling to go share Christ with others. In that case, you will truncate your experience with God and you will hinder those who need to experience the Lord's salvation. To be a Christian is to act like a Christian. We cannot dichotomize those things and separate those as though that one matters and one does not. To do otherwise is theological insanity, which is living counter to who you are ontologically, or to use the Bible's term, which sounds harsh for postmodern Christians, is hypocrisy. Salvation is from the Lord. And he intends to give it to others. And as secondary causal agents, we have a responsibility to go and make disciples, which is exactly what Jonah would not do. What would hinder you from extending salvation to others? Maybe to your spouse? Maybe to your children? Perhaps to your extended network, your friends? Maybe sharing the Lord's salvation with the world. Part of our sanctification, which is a key component in the Ordo Salutis, in full salvation, means that God rescues us. We are united to be with Him, and we are on a mission from God. We see this most prominently acted out in the gospel. Because the gospel is about going we must tell others about our salvation from the Lord. Jesus' name, what means Yahweh saves, is the ultimate example of a person who had a relationship with the Father and was an extension of the Father's desire to restore others through rescue. Jonah did not want to be an extension of the Lord's salvation. He mismanaged the gift the Father gave to him. Rather than extending the good news to Nineveh, he went to, he ran off toward Tarshish. God loved Jonah too much to let him mismanage his salvation. How about you? How about me? Which way are we running? Toward the Ninevites because we are stewarding this great sal salvation? Or, well, I'm going to unfriend them. I don't like them. They are not my type. And so I'm going to run toward Tarshish. 
Which way are you running? Would you take some time this week maybe to discuss this concept of stewarding God's salvation with a close friend? I'm calling this the article that I've just shared with you now, the terrible lengths God will go to for your good. Let me wrap up with a few questions. I have six of them. Number one, why is it vital to steward the Lord's salvation? Again, not to earn it, not to create brownie points with God? Why is it vital to steward the Lord's salvation in the temporal? Question number two, how has suffering motivated you to be a better steward of God's salvation? I have done that so imperfectly more times than I've gotten it right. But I will say this, that this entire ministry sits on the management, the stewardship of the suffering that God has permitted in my life to recalibrate me because I was going in the wrong direction in my ignorance. And so God says, I love my son, Rick. He is born again, but he is not going to steward salvation well, and so I'm going to hurl a storm at him. And if he doesn't get it right, I'm going to send a big fish to swallow him because he needs a recalibration in this idea of stewarding this great salvation. And so number question number two, how has suffering motivated you? to become a better steward of God's salvation. Number three, have you thought God was punishing you because of your suffering? The follow-up is, why is this thinking wrong? Question number four, how you think about God and His acts in your life will affect how you relate to Him. And so the question is, will you talk about how a wrong perspective on suffering could inhibit your relationship with God? Now, I had that too, a big dose of that, because I blamed God for the suffering that He was permitting in my life. Once I realized that He was the primary cause agent, I got mad at Him, sinfully mad at Him. And so God had to send more things into my life to get my attention because he loved me so much, he was going to make me steward his salvation properly. And so how you think about God and his acts in your life, specifically the suffering in your life, will affect how you relate to him. And so I want to appeal to you, will you talk about how a wrong perspective on suffering could inhibit your relationship with God? Question number five. What is your practical response to these thoughts about Jonah's unwillingness to steward God's salvation well? And then question number six, will you highlight all the questions? Now, if you have time, I want you to go back and read this article. Again, the title of it, The Terrible Links God Will Go To For Your Good. And I would love you to highlight I've asked several questions throughout what I've shared with you and just highlight them and maybe write a short blurb about how you can practicalize these ideas into your life. And so not just the CTAs that I just shared with you, but also the other questions that I've shared throughout this piece. Now, if you're not a writer, that's okay. Will you talk to someone? about all the questions, including these CTAs, but all the other questions that are inside the article. Perhaps this would be a great discussion for a small group of friends. And if you want to find the title 
uh, find the article, the video, and the podcast that goes with it, the terrible lengths God will go to for your good. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.